Today we have Me Too Bhatnagar on the show. Are you a woman looking to make an impact and create long-lasting change? Me Too is a general partner in over 1,200 doors with a 100 million plus portfolio. Through her experience, she has insight into land purchases, development projects, owning businesses, brokering real estate, and so much more. In addition, she has a servant's heart. In this episode, you will learn core values, how to stay true to your core values when picking partners, land and development, when to buy, and buying at the right price, serving, how she views investments as a way to serve investors and serve the community, assisted living, why she believes assisted living is a great opportunity as boomers age. Listen and learn. Are you an accredited investor? Do you wish you could save taxes and build greater wealth? If so, we should be working together. Go to dbprivateequity.com backslash passive income. Now, onto the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing. Be introduced to the players that are getting it done and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Me Too before we start the show. Me Too lives in the DFW area. She initially was not impressed with the cash-on-cash returns of multifamily, but after investing, she saw the incredible tax savings impact of multifamily investments, and now she is fully impressed. I love her quote, I'm not in it for the money. This girl is a giver. Now, onto the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Mitu Badnagar. Me too. Appreciate you coming on the show. Hi, Darren. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. So just a little bit on how we know each other. Uh, we're both part of the same uh, multifamily mentorship group, the Brad Sumrock group. And um, I've see been seeing Me Too being posted on all these different deals. So I'm interested to hear what she has going on. She's actually a doctor, but she's a doctor, a PhD doctor. So she's a smart cookie, and uh, I'm interested to hear what she has to say, and hopefully she can share some of her wisdom with the rest of you listeners. So uh, me too. with that, can you please share how many properties and how many units you're invested in? Sure, Darren. Thank you for your kind word, uh, words. You are too generous. Uh, currently, I have invested in close uh, to 1,200 doors. I have been GP in 100-plus million portfolio, and currently I'm doing a development projects. It's a 306 luxury class A um, com uh, gated community. That's it. And how long have you been investing? Both investing, did you start out in single family and then, and then grow into multifamily? When did you kind of make that switch if you did? So I started investing back in 2010. And uh, that time we were investing back in India. And uh, later on, I decided to invest here in U.S. Uh, earlier, we were purchasing businesses along with the real estate. Uh, but then it was keeping me very busy and taking my precious time away from the family. So I decided to uh, invest in multifamily and have better control on the time. So uh, when, when did you start getting focused on multifamily? I started focusing in multifamily in 2017 as passive investor but uh, went full-time into multifamily in 2019. Fantastic. So you are very humble. I mean, that 1,200 doors and $100 million portfolio is not something no, that is. everybody amasses very, you know, ever in their lifetime for a lot of people. And, and, and you did it in a short time frame. So um, thank you. That's fantastic. Can you share kind of a little bit about your journey and, and how that went and how it's impacted others that you've, you've brought along with you, um, like other investors that you've had share in those deals as well. 
Sure, sounds great. So I was always interested in real estate and then um, business was my passion. I wanted to be an entrepreneur so I can be with my family, with my kids whenever I went. I did an acquisition of a preschool. Um, it was a great acquisition. We did value add, changed uh, the staff, brought in new resources, brought new vehicles. Uh, and turned around the business in like six to seven months, but it was too time consuming, taking away the precious time. I was not able to focus on family. Um, plus, uh, I was making a lot of money, but then not getting that much tax benefits. So that's when I decided to move from uh, childcare center to multifamily. So that's interesting that you say, I really, haven't heard too many people talk about that using kind of a value add strategy, but in businesses and, yes. you know, and people do that all the time, right? They, they, the private equity groups, they'll, they'll buy private companies and, and then they think that they can run it better and more efficient and increase the profitability. And so it's kind of like a value add play. So, but, you know, we hear that so much in the multifamily world that we're, I'm just not used to hearing it as much on the business side. So you had that experience on, on the business side, purchasing a, a preschool and turning that business around. And now you take those same skills and bring it into the multifamily world. Yes. So what, what's your role when you partner with other, other folks on the multifamily side? So when I uh, partner with other people, I do have a commercial real estate background as well. I am a CCI, I am a certified commercial investment member. Uh, I am a broker as well. And I have taken a lot of uh, courses in the real estate management also. So I, I believe I have a lot of values where I can uh, add some value to the table by being an operations. So I mostly uh, do the asset management and the project management. All right. So let's talk about the 306 unit development deal. I mean, going from a value add existing property to building ground up, it's a big difference. So talk, it is, it is. Talk about some of the differences in that and kind of what, again, what role you play in that, that deal. Sure. So I was very uh, closely monitoring the real estate cycle and during the pandemic and after soon after the pandemic, I, I observed that the compressed, uh, the cap rates were really compressed. The people were buying around three to four cap rate. At that time, buying property doesn't make sense to me. I decided to exit uh, the, I decided to put my portfolio on sale. And parallelly, I was looking on the opportunities that are in the market, the projects that are shovel ready, because I was looking at the IRR cycle as well, and the multifamily was in the expansion phase. So if I am doing development, I wanted to deliver the project during that expansion um, expansion cycle, because if we deliver the units during that time, the rents are higher, and they are easily absorbed. So when I got this opportunity, we bought it at the right place and it was having a lot of development incentives. That's when I decided to go for the development deal. So what year did you buy, buy into that deal? I bought that deal uh, last year That's in right. June. 2022. So can you No, share... in 2021, sorry. Oh, yeah, 2021. in 2021, 2021 of June, yes. Okay. So can you share with the listeners, uh, you know, I, what you mean by shovel ready so the shovel ready like this project it was already zoned it was having the entitlements ready the architectural and civil was done and the princeton city doesn't require the construction permit prior to moving the dirt so if we want we can go straight ahead do the acquisition and start moving the dirt around that's so shovel ready that saves you a lot of time so if you were yes you're, you're to buy raw land you know first yes. you have to make sure that it gets zoned for the, the correct commercial use of that property um, then you have to um, get all the entitlements squared away and and get the utilities squared away 
uh, before and, and all the, um, as you mentioned, the engineering, before you can actually get started. So that process can be quite lengthy. And it's also has risk because you may yes. not get the approvals. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's very risky and it could be lengthy also. Sometimes we do have the ballpark, but sometimes it can take a little bit longer because it all depends upon the city, how fast they work and how friendly they are. So that's the reason I decided to go for a shovel-ready project. Because, yeah, that's smart. Yeah, yeah thank you. Because so, if we wait for too long and we hit the recession and then or the hypersupply, then the project will not be that profitable. That's the reason I decided to go for a shovel-ready project. Right. So one, you take some risk off the table. Two, you, you compress the time frame because the, the time yes. to, to get that yes. is already set up. Um, yes. So, you know, there are landowners and developers that they focus on buying raw land and then getting all the approvals set up and all the entitlements and, and making it shovel ready and then yes. selling the land at that point. And then there's other yes. developers that buy the raw land, they get the entitlements and then they want to actually build the property and absolutely up and then they want to sell it um you know so each kind of developer has a different um uh, mo in terms of what they're trying to achieve and what their business plan is and so you were very specific on this is the type of land that we're looking for yes you are correct there so there are the land bankers they are typically the investors who buy the land at a very reasonable price they hold and sit on the land and then comes the land packager. They package, they get it zoned, they package the land and then comes the developer into picture the land developer and then the construction, the person who is doing the construction or the vertical construct, uh, development. So I'm not an expert in the land area at all. Um, but so I want to ask you this question. So I've, I have heard that when people buy land, it's different than buying a value-add property where you're going through, you know, 10 different buyers and there's best and final and then somebody's awarded the deal and then you have 60 days to close. My understanding on, on land deals is that, you know, there could be a, a lockup period where you have, you have a contract signed, but you have a longer period of time to make sure that all of you know, all the entitlements and everything that you need is approved before you move forward. Is that yeah. correct? Yes, is that yes that's correct. That's correct. Yeah, in the land deals, typically the feasibility study is slightly longer as uh, compared to the multifamily. And also in the multifamily, most of the time it's hard money day one, while in land development, there is uh, no hard money involved. No hard money at all. No hard money at all. So even to lock up the, the contract for a period of time? Yes, they'll uh, lock up sometimes as long as like three months. They give you the time to do the due diligence if it's a raw land. But like if this is a project that like shovel ready and all, you might not get three months, maybe 30 or 45 days for, for it. But usually there is no hard money in the land development deals. That's great. Okay. Well, thank you for educating me on that. Um, so what are the, why did you want to do A class versus B, continue with B and C? So I understand, you know, the, the new development, but, and you can't really develop a B and C class. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so why did you choose to do that? So, uh, there are three types of properties, class A, B, and C, right? So usually the class A are newer properties. And it's not always the new property. It's the amenities that you are having in the community that makes it a class A property. Like we have luxury class uh, resort style swimming pool. We have gated community. We have car wash, puppy wash. And we have courtyards that are as big as an acre. So walking trails and all. And, you know, I am in this business, like not to make money. It's like my biggest buy. I want to buy? Yes. Like give back to the community and, you know, make impact other, other people's life. 
I believe I have some skills that can definitely add value to other people's lives. So here, even though it's a class A property, but the rents are going to be very reasonable. That's, uh, I just have to say, that's, I don't know that I've had one person say that before. Yeah. Like, I don't care yeah. about the money like that. that I'm just looking to have an impact and to give back to the community. That's pretty special. Yes, because the residents living there, it's their house, right? Uh, They should be proud of where they are living. So that's my biggest goal. God has given me a beautiful life. And if anyways, my skills can help elevate other people's life, I'm all in. That's awesome. I love that. So I always think of the, the A, the new development kind of, mandating to be an a property because that's the only way to make the the numbers work is to have you know the land is expensive and so in order to buy the land and build it you know you have to achieve you have to have rents that are high enough to to still have it be profitable and so because of that you know every every new build pretty much has to be an a a type property yeah, in a way you are right, but it's not necessarily the brand new buildings. They are class A because, you know, like if they don't have amenities, then they will be um, class B. Or if they are in a demograph, like median income group is 35 or 40, they can be even categorized as a class C property. Brand new, being classified. Yes, yes. Class C. Yes. You don't see yeah, because if the median income group is 35, Okay, right. So it's going to be. Most of those are tax credit deals, right? Yes, yes. Low income. Um, So now, how does it talk about some of the risk, uh, different risk between um, the kind of value add existing to to building? I, I think of the risk on the value add existing to be, you know, one can, can the GP group execute on the plan can they you know the the rents that they're forecasting you know are they able to achieve those are they able to keep the expenses you know under um you know what they had budgeted and then do they have the right loan on the property you know so that you know debt service doesn't you know get out of hand but on a new development how does it work with you know all the all the contractors and the cost of, you know, lumber and the cost of, you know, labor and all of that. Um, how does that play into um, a new build? Do you just take those costs and then add a certain profit to, and you just change what the, the rent is from the original plan and you just pump it up to a higher rent if, if you have higher costs along the way? Yeah, so when you compare the value add, that, that's a very good question, right? Value add acquisitions are comparatively very easy to do, right? You can forecast the risk involved, right? You need to have the right app. You can mitigate the risk at various levels. But in development, there are so many unknown. So you have to be very careful. And, you know, sometimes people jump into this business not knowing what they are doing because here too many things are going into picture so if you overpay for the land right if you don't pay uh, get the land at the right price there is no way you can make money right you have to have the right price of the land and then when you are working with a contractor or a general contractor you can go and uh, decide to be your own general contractor but that's not the best way to go we go with general contractor and then try to have a uh, contract that is, you know, guaranteed maximum price or a lump sum contract so that we know, like, how much is the cost going to be. And so that can I, I'm sorry, can I jump in there? So I've heard a lot of people talk about that guaranteed max price contract, but out, and I haven't done new development, but I would assume that the GC is like, well, Look, I could do that within a certain parameters, but if lumber prices shoot up, you know, astronomically, I have to get paid, you know, for that. How, you know, they they can't build if their supplies are 
you know, dramatically different than what they budgeted for, can they? So when they are doing the contracts, right, when they go, when, suppose we, we have our all the drawings ready and we are going for the bids. We give it to various GCs, like we identify like three or four GCs and then they bid the project for us. Okay. So when they do the project, then, uh, then instantly within like 30 days, we have to award the project. And as they are awarded the project, they go back and lock the lumber prices. They, they, they do the buyouts. Yes. Gotcha. So buyout is very important. And if you are not working with the right GC and then they don't do the buyouts, it's going to be a trouble. Right. So so they lock in the rates yes. right once, once they're awarded. The, yeah the contract yeah and i'm i'm kind of guessing that you must have to front some of that money i don't know if that's the case or not but no. like yeah uh yeah if if the requirement is to give some advance then we have to give the advance but mostly in the lumber cases they don't ask for any they just issue a po purchase order and that's how the prices are locked but uh, during the last couple of years, there has been so many fluctuations, right? So the GCs were not very comfortable with the GMP or they were having too much contingency. So what they were coming up, you know, they were doing the lump sum contracts and they were having an escalation clause in it. Escalation clause. So talk about yeah. the escalation clause. How does that work? So escalation clauses like they took the bid at this price and uh, like in uh, like now the prices have still stabilized, but like back in 18 months back or 12 months back, the prices were changing in like one or two weeks also. If they are not able to lock the price and then there is some change in the price, then the owner have to pay for it. Okay. But they have to give all the do required documents to prove like there is a price increase right right um what's your take on you know what one where do you get most of the investors that invest in the syndications with you and then two are you finding in today's economy that investors are more cautious so most of my investors are elite professionals like doctors engineers and most of them know me very well. Personally, they are friends and family. And I was having a podcast as well, which I stopped doing it because I got too busy with this uh, development project. Sure. Uh, I got a lot of followers from there as well. They hear my story and, you know, somehow got re uh, related to me. They really like me and the story and they feel like I have some values and the core values that they cherish. I'm very um transparent person plus my philosophies i don't believe in quantity i really do believe in quality so whatever i am doing i'm doing with very focus and that's what the investors like about so now in today's market do you find that they're more cautious Yes, there are few investors that are very cautious, but uh, all in all the investors in my database, they are not because if they really like you and trust you, they know even if the market is not favorable, you are doing to great, do great. That's fantastic. So why multifamily versus the businesses that you were you were purchasing before? Why do you like the asset class multifamily? That's that's a very good question. Yeah. So multifamily, the primary reason is it's, you know, it gets impacted during the recession, but not to the extent as the other businesses or the other property types do. That is one of the reasons. And then you are doing something good for the community. It makes you feel good. That's another reason. And all the tax benefits that we get in the multifamily forced appreciation, cost segregation, when we do cost segregation, that's one of the reasons that we prefer to do multifamily. Yeah, I mean, there's, do you, talk about somebody that you, you kind of had to educate to get involved in the first deal. And because you can't really get your hands around the, the tax benefits and the, the, the income potential of these deals until you actually are in one. So talk about it from an investor standpoint that like just picture in your mind, somebody was like, you know, me too. Like, I don't fully understand it, 
but I like you, I trust you, and I'm going to do this and see how it turns out. And then, then they start saying, oh, now I see. Now I see the tax benefits. Now I see the returns. So kind of talk through a situation like that. Yeah, so I'll give you my own example, right? Sure. So I started learning about a multifamily in 2017, and I was uh, having my real estate license as well. I was doing, I was one of the top producer in my company and getting awards in real estate as well. I was making very good money and my child care center was doing good too. Uh, when initially I came to know about multifamily, I was not very impressed with it. I was like 7-8% cash on cash. It doesn't sound a lot. And, you know, I don't want to wait for five years when I can flip the businesses like in three years. And the kind of return I was getting in my business was 35%. So initially one or two years, I couldn't get like what's the real benefit of it. But in 2018, when our family income went significantly higher and we were having a big tax bill, that's when I got the advantage of saving the taxes. Uh, then that's when I decided, oh, I missed the cost segregation part. I missed the tax saving part. And that's when I went to my husband and I said, you know, I think I, we should invest more in a multifamily. And he asked me, like, why do you want to do so? I said, because of the tax incentives, we can save a lot of taxes and maybe pay zero dollar in taxes. He said, I want to know with whom are you talking these days? <laughs> and do, do you want to go to jail or what? I said, no, I'm talking with the right people, you know. Let's go and schedule a meeting with our CPA. So that's when we, we had a meeting with our CPA. We went to our CPA and I told him everything about that I learned in multifamily. And he said, yeah, that's, that's the way, that's the right way to do. That's how I, I realized what mistake I was doing by not investing in multifamily and just looking at the cash flow and not looking at the tax incentives that comes with the multifamily investment. That's, that's a great story. I mean, yeah, <laughs> because I think it's so true is until you actually do it and see it, it really... The light bulb doesn't completely go on. And, Absolutely. You know, you know, we've heard this saying before, it's not how much you make, but it's how much you keep. And, Absolutely. But until it's yours, until like you you see the impact for you. I know my grandfather told me a long time ago, he's like, Darren, you gotta learn about taxes. And I was like, ah, oh, it's so boring. I'm like, I don't I don't wanna do that, right? And then when I got involved in the multifamily world, I have another business, uh, but I was able to take all the depreciation from this business and pretty much cover the profits from the other business and, Absolutely. you know, pay very little tax. And like, I was like, holy cow, that, that in itself is massive if you're a high, you know, earner because you're paying Absolutely. that check every year. So then the other thing that people talk about when they hear this is, well, oh, are you, like your husband, you know, is, <laughs> is this legal? So, yeah, first there's the, there's the, is this legal part, right? Absolutely. And there's the other side of it is like, is this, you know, right? You Absolutely. know, and, but then what you realize as you start doing it is, you know, you're investing where the government wants you to. That's why they're providing those incentives. You are purchasing a property and you're hiring contractors, you're hiring property management companies, you're providing affordable housing, you know, so you're stimulating the economy in a way that the government wants you to. Uh, but in the beginning, I had a hard time, like, accepting <laughs> You know, until yeah. you start seeing the impacts of it. Absolutely, I agree. You know, when you walk across the, the property and all of a sudden one of the tenants comes out and says, you know, thank you for Absolutely. putting in that playground or, you know, repainting the exterior of the property, or doing, you know, doing something and because that's where they live and that's where they, um, 
you know, that's what their day-to-day lives. And, and a lot of times they're referring their friends and their family to the same community. So they're all living there. Um, so that's where you get the good for the community piece, piece of it. So um, I think that's fantastic. I love your story about that. Thank you. I appreciate it. So talk about mindset because, I mean, it may not be as big for you because you were already buying, you know, businesses that had real estate. You were, you were already, you were already an action taker, you know, but there's some people that they can wrap their hands around buying a single family house or maybe even a duplex, but getting involved in a 150 unit or a 300 unit apartment complex. Well, that sounds too big. So like, what's your take on mindset, both, you know, as a general partner and also as a limited partner in those larger deals? Yeah, so it sometimes feel overwhelming, like, you know, that uh, going for big projects, like when we were, when our first acquisition was 418 apartments. So when we were raising the funds and so many That's people. That's your first acquisition? That was, was 418 units, yes. Yeah, so when we were doing the acquisition and then people were coming to us and they were telling, you are not doing the right thing. And, uh, you know, but if you have the confidence and you have the skills and you are with the right team, I think it's very easy and doable. It's less riskier as compared to single family homes because there is economies of scale. So explain that. Why is it less risky because of economies of scale? Yeah, so, so if you are having a single family, right, and you are having just one tenant, and for some reason that tenant is not paying the rent, so you are losing 100% of your rent, and you, you are responsible for paying the mortgage and all. Right? If you that's, are having, yeah. That's huge. I'm, that's huge, I right? think that most people, if they get into, you know, rental properties, that's their first, you know, avenue into it is, I'm just going to buy another house and I'm going to put a tenant in it. Um, but there's a few things that, you know, one big thing is like you said, if, if somebody moves out, you go from hundred yep. percent occupied to zero percent. Absolutely. Secondly, most, I'm not going to say all, but a lot of people, when they get into that world, they don't necessarily know how to do all the numbers. So they're Absolutely. like, I'm going to look at, What's the monthly rent? I'm going to multiply that by 12 and then I'm going to deduct my costs. And, but in a big multifamily property, we know that there's always going to be some kind of vacancy. Some people are going to be Absolutely. moving out. Some people are going to be moving in. There's going to be time it takes to, to get the units ready. The same thing happens in, in a single family house. If somebody moves out, there's time. You know, to clean it up and to market it and to get a new tenant in. And so you have to build in, you know, some vacancy. And I don't think that the single family people, when they first get involved, maybe after they've done it a little bit, then they start to see it. But um, when they first get in, they just think, you know, this is less risky where we can see that it's actually more. Yep. Absolutely. And moreover, in the multifamily, you can have your property manager and the property management team. While in multi in single family, if you hire a third party pro- property manager, you are not making any money. Most of the time you end up being a landlord where you are getting the all the calls. Hey, this is broken. That is broken. And it needs to be fixed now. Yeah. Another <laughs> funny thing is I talked to this one syndicator that has been in the business for a long time, does large multifamily deals. I was like, Darren, you know, I'm just trying to refinance my house and it is a hassle. Like it's, it's so much harder than getting financing on a 200 unit or 300 unit apartment complex. And people can't understand that. But the reality of it is, you know, the agencies or the banks, whoever's providing the loan for it is not really looking at me too or Darren or, you know, their financial situation as much as they're looking at what's the cash flow of the property and can that sustain the debt service. So absolutely. You know, that's why it makes it easier. 
So talk about, you, you don't seem like you have much fear, but talk about fear for you and fear for your investors. Fear for my investors? Fear Actually, I'm not. You have fear for you. Honestly, Honestly I yeah. am not a very fearful person. I'm not <laughs> scared. Right. I get the sense <laughs> you're not very fearful. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, and any challenge that came in my path, I never get upset about it. I take it as an opportunity to grow. And whenever I step into business, I know that I am responsible for other people's money. So I am extra cautious and I'm always having a backup plan. So there is nothing as long as we are doing all our work right, mitigating the risk at all the aspects. Uh, there is nothing to be scared of, to be very honest with you. So let's, I mean, I think all syndicators want to, you know, do the right thing by investors. And there's certain things that happen that are out of the control of absolutely theater. you know in the last year anybody that had a, a loan that was floating rate you know the debt service has gone up dramatically so do you have any of those types of deals and, and how do you manage through that yeah so that's the reason you know i i as i mentioned you know when i was looking at the deals happening in the market you know that the people were a overpaying for the assets and then going for this bridge financing or the floating rates i was not very comfortable with it i decided not to do any acquisition my investors were pretty much upset about it because we went full cycle and we gave extraordinary result in our first uh, deal um, and then I, we were in the event of capital gain and all that I, I honestly wanted to do. But when I saw that most of them, interest rates are floating rates and bridge financing, I knew it's not the right thing to do. So fortunately or unfortunately, I was no, not in any risky solution. I never do any such kind of deals. I'd rather not do anything, but, you know, I... I try to take calculated risk. The risk that well, I you're, can... You're very fortunate. There are a lot of people that ha that have those types of um, deals out there. Um, yeah. So I think that people are more afraid of losing than they are have a Absolute. propensity to take a risk to win. So yes. you don't seem to fit into that category. No. And I think that that's probably one of the one of the values and one of the benefits of working with a syndicator is that the syndicator actually takes the the risk and, and then goes to, to raise the capital where you know some of the investors may not have been able to pull the trigger, but they're like, okay, you know, me too's in, I'm I'm in. And so talk a little bit about that risk of loss versus the upside of winning. Yeah, so risk of loss, you know, I, I am seeing that fear, you know, that most of the people, they did a bridge financing and it was like 75 to 80% LTV and that is expiring or will be expired. And when they will go for refinancing or for a new debt, it will be at a lower leverage, right? So they need to bring more to the table. and. And it's going to be very hard. The cost of debt has gone significantly higher. Right. There are all those sorts of risks involved. Um, but then we have to look at the positive scenarios. We are not going to be in this environment for long. If we can sustain right. it for like 18 months or so, the interest rates are going to go down eventually. So... And I believe by, the, by that time, the property prices should go automatically by 15 or 20%. So yeah, there is risk. But if you can have, you have the ability to take the control or, you know, the property might not be cash flowing if you are able to pay your expenses for these 12 to 18 months. And after that, look at the positive, you know, you are still getting the tax benefits and then the property is getting appreciated. Yeah, I think that these these deals, um, you know, they're they're longer term. You know, in the last few years, we had deals that were turning over into two, two years. Yeah. You know, but 
traditionally their five-year business plan and sometimes that you know actually helps because if you if you can ride out the the low time and you know with stocks a lot of people when there's a downturn people sell out and they get out because they don't want to lose more and then they don't know when to get back in and all of a sudden the stock market goes up and they are like, oh, it's going to dip again. So I'll get back in at the lower level. It just keeps going up. And then all of a sudden they're, they're locked out. They've they, you know, forced in their losses. Well, in these multifamily deals, you can't get out. You cannot right? get out, That's, yes. You're, you're, you lose the liquidity. And sometimes that's a bad thing. And sometimes that's a good thing. So, you know, if you think about um, COVID, I know for certain there were some passive investors that if they had the opportunity, they probably would have sold. They probably would have even sold for, you know, a loss just to get out. And, and then 12 months later, you know, they're getting 150% gain. Absolutely. You know? um, so having people that they know and trust you know, we'll ride it out. Because I love what you say, because I think that in the medium to long term, rents are going to go up. Absolutely. Go up. But there will be hard times and you have to be able to ride through those hard times. Yeah. All right. So what's your top advice for somebody new coming into the industry? Let's, let's talk about the passive investor and then the one that wants to get in on the active side? Yeah, for, yes, for the passive investors, you know, education is the must, whether you are an active or a, uh, whether you are a GP or an LP, you should know about the asset class, what are the risks, what are the benefits? Uh, and then most important is the mindset and surround yourself with the people who are doing the same thing. Surround yourself with the like-minded people. Like-minded people, I think that that, right there is so critical. I mean, when we, people say education over and over and over again, but I think it's more than just listening to podcasts and reading books. You actually have to get out and talk to people and, and you talk to people and they say, yeah, I've been doing this for you know five years, 10 years, and my returns are so much better than the stock market. And here's how it works. Then it's so different than reading it in a book. You know, you're meeting real life people, real life success stories. Absolutely. Um, and, and definition of that like-minded people are the people who are your role model. You know, that's also something to factor in about, you know, you don't want to surround yourself with a person who is doing 5,000 doors in the first year. So, so you want to surround yourself with somebody that's doing what? Like, like doing full-time job and then doing acquisitions back to back and, and, you know, doing multiple. So you don't want to surround yourself and be in a competition with those people. Yeah. So there are different, that, and that's the beauty part about this business too, is that you can, some people can't relate to the guy who owns you know, 500 million of assets, you know, they're just getting started. They're like, Absolutely. oh man, that guy has way too much experience. I can't even fathom that. But then somebody else that maybe they just invested in their first deal or their third deal and, oh, I could relate to that more, you know? Yeah. So what's great is you have a choice. There are people at all different levels mm -hmm. and, you know, as you get to the next level, then there's somebody above <laughs> you that will help you get to the next level mm -hmm. if you want. You know, it's a you know you still have to work to get there, and you still have to meet those people. But um, it's amazing what can happen. You know, in the beginning, I'll just ask you when you started investing. I mean, did you really think that you were going to be, you know, on podcasts and bringing investors and doing a 300 some odd unit deal and a 400 unit deal and like it, one thing kind of leads to another. Absolutely. Right? Yep. I mean, everybody starts with what was your first investment? My first investment? Yeah. Uh, first real estate investment. First real estate, uh, it was in 2010. 
that was my personal of a, a condo that I purchased. So it was a condo. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you were probably nervous buying a condo. I don't yes. Know if you were, but you know that first one for everybody. It seems so long ago, but it was that's how you got started. And then you you go and you start meeting other people, and they start you know telling you about other you know products and how you can do it. And then you get to the next level. Absolutely. And then you, people get to the yes. next level. But you started with a condo. Yes. Right. Yes. And now you're doing 300 and 400 unit. Yes. Property. Yeah. The other thing I say is that it's not just about you. In the beginning, it starts out just about you. Absolutely. You know, you you're trying to just build your wealth for you and your husband and your family. But then it's like other people are like, "Me too." Help me. Absolutely. No, no, I do it. Yep. So help other people get out of the rat race, help them achieve their financial goals. So, and then you are doing good for the community as well. People are so happy to see that nice and clean swimming pool, all the amenities that you go, you go there, upgrade the gym, and then people are running over there. It 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 brings a lot of uh, you know pleasure seeing all those things. Changes in the life that you make in other people's life. Yeah, uh, the people on the community yeah. and the investors. I mean, Absolutely. The investors feel happy know. too, right? Because they are doing good. They are getting return on their investment. And, and they all have a different Absolutely. need for that, that capital. Like some people are just, you know, building their wealth so that they can retire, you know, someday. Some people are, that's a college fund for their Absolutely. kids. And, or, you know, buy a car or a vacation, whatever the case may be. So, um that's awesome. What learning lessons have you had by, you know, as you've kind of gone up the ladder? What's, what are some of the learning lessons? One of the biggest learning lessons that I had, you know, is jumping too soon into a partnership. So, you know, when, so talk about that. yeah. So when you are doing, you know, when, when you meet people, you meet them in the conferences or, you know, like if you are a part of any ecosystem, you meet their people you see their positive side, right? And you like that person and think that he's an achiever, right? But when you are really into the into some project with them and some problems arise, then how that person acts and how much capable is that person is to handle that kind of stress, that's all our learning, right? So if you are planning to be a partner, I would say, you know, get to know that general partner or the partner that you are picking very closely. I don't take, uh, you know, I get so many calls. People want to invest like in my Princeton project, in my development project. I got this guy. He met me for the first time on the Zoom call and he wanted to invest 1.5 million in my project because that oh, time yeah. I because most of the fundraising was done and only 1.5 million was left. Right. I didn't knew that person very well. And I said, sir, you don't even know me. I know I appreciate, you know, that you are trusting me so much. And you know that this is a development project and still you want to bring that much to the table. But I was not willing to take that new investor into that project because I don't have any, I don't know how he will involve because it was a development project. There could uh, there could be a, some challenges come in between that I'm, I don't know. So I don't know how that person will react, even though we were raising funds and it would have been a piece of cake for me, but I decided not to take that presence. So I'm very particular when I am taking a limited partner or a general partner, I do some sort of due diligence. I just don't jump into the uh, partnership. That's great. Um, so this, I was thinking when you were talking about partnerships, you were talking about I was talking about talking? general partnership, but you, you should oh, be you, you should be careful with the limited partners too. <laughs> uh, right, right. I thought you were talking about the general partner, but you're talking about both. Yeah. Um, so talk about on the on the uh, general partnership side. You know what could you have done? You obviously had at least one partner that didn't react the way you would have wanted them to react in, in a certain situation. I'm guessing based on the fact that um, this is a learning lesson. What would you do differently now? How would you have identified that ahead of time? Uh, I will personally, you know, do a more closer. I will 
personally monitor a person closely and that time when i did partnership i was knowing that person but not to the extent so maybe prior to going into the partnership i will spend some very good time with that person i'll observe that person how he behaves like you know does he have the same core values that i have right because for me integrity and accountability are very important i believe in doing the right thing right the being transparent and all so now i spend a lot of time with the people with whom are I'm, i'm planning to be the partner so that you know i know that they have the same core values and that is exactly what i've heard from other people um other syndicators that have said that they've had trouble partnerships it hasn't been that the partner was incompetent or couldn't do the work it was that they had the situation and they looked at the world two different ways and one wanted to handle a situation in a certain way the other one didn't really have the best interests of the investors in mind and it caused conflict and they didn't he didn't want to be in that position again yeah um, i kind of heard that a few times yeah most um, of the time i believe like there are very rarely people who don't have the best interest of the investors but sometimes people ego come in between right they not necessarily have the required experience or the expertise and just because they some something they think like everyone should follow that nice So where do you go from here? Like what's the next big stretch goal for you? I mean, you've done so much in in a short period of time. Where do you go from here? I am looking for more opportunities, but I am very conservative, right? So I have certain criteria and if they don't meet then I I'll not go for them. I am interested in two uh, property type or the asset classes. one is multi family and the other thing that i like is assisted living family i have been doing research in assisted living uh, facilities since 2019 that's when i was planning to do an acquisition of one but then the pandemic hit and that property type was hurt very badly so i was like watching and observing but now i am at a point where i see that it's again picking up because when i look at the projections and the demograph you know after 7 8 years there will be a lot of baby boomers there are almost 10000 people uh, that are retiring each single day so i see there is a lot of scope in that asset class so i i am looking into those as well That's huge. Um now the assisted living facilities it's different than multifamily because there's typically like a a business within the real estate. So now you're going back to almost what you were trying to get away from with the yes you know, the the daycare facility. Yes. You know, like living you know you you've got the actual units that people live in but you have to provide different medical services yeah. to to tenants and that that's a business in itself. Yes, so I I started investing in multifamily but I was not planning to exit the daycare industry. The only reason I exited the daycare industry was it was too much time consuming and my son was in 11th grade. So in 2019 you know i said my son is in 11th grade 11th and 12th are two precious year for my son and after that he will go to college and then he will go for job so basically go for the work so i thought like he will be leaving the house in two years i wanted to be with him for those two years so i told my husband you know that i want to exit it, this industry and invest on in multi family once he goes to college and i have more time then i'll look into businesses and you know children uh, child care facilities they are good opportunities but they are really very stressful because you know people kids are there they are very emotional uh, with the kids and all and the kind of ratios you look you know it's very intensive very labor intensive right while uh, 
this assisted living facility is very different because you are dealing with a grown up people it's not that stressful as compared to child care center plus you know i have all those schools i was running a licensed child care facility so i know what the regulations are i am into real estate i know the real estate part and i have done research in nutrition on the cardiovascular disease so i know what role does the nutrition play in most of these diseases so i feel like i have a lot of values that i bring to the table and for me it's all about giving back or making an impact in other people life so i feel all these old people i i go to few facilities once in a while when i am doing thinking of acquisition the all those facilities are so depressing and you know so right. i really want to make an impact i believe because i'm a very spiritual person also i do meditation i do yoga and all so with all my skills i think i can do something different in this asset class that's the reason i want i want to go into it that's pretty awesome so you know you have a great background for it because you you know you have the child care facility that that was running a business within and real estate then you have multifamily both value add and new development and then you take all those skill set plus the the real estate background take all of that and bring it to living care that's that's uh i think it's a winning equation um now you're going to have the flip side of in that business that you have you're dealing with adults right the older people but you're also dealing with their children yes you know their children a lot of times are the ones that are you know having to to manage and provide the financing potentially or um so there it's kind of flipped instead of the parent coming in and being all concerned about their kid it's the child being concerned about how the mom and dad is being treated absolutely yep i personally get all involved with my even if i'm an operator you know i get very personally involved with the operations and when i was a business owner i was very closely involved with the operations so i know my uh, whatever facility i'll run you know it, it will do good so no one will be upset with any of my employees <laughs> that's fantastic yeah. so uh, what do you like to do outside of work for fun i uh, like to go out with my friends i'm very social i have a lot of friends i go i enjoy meeting them i don't watch tv at all but i do love uh, music i listen to music and then exercising meditation and i'm a continuous learner so every day at least one or two hour i spend in learning something new that's awesome how how do you do that you read books i read books and then i watch all those videos and i keep myself enrolled in one thing or the other fantastic um well i i appreciate you coming on now if people want to get to know you better What's the best way for them to do that? They can reach me directly on my cell phone. It's 2146749867 or they can go on my website and you know reach me out through there. I do have one uh, Can you share the website? It's www.jmd j as in joy m as in mary d as in dog acquisitions.com and I do have one wealth evolution club uh, i have not been able to give too much time to it but it's uh, i made this with a mission to empower my investors so i constantly send out educational content content so if someone wants to be a part of wealth evolution club you know they will get all those newsletter and the podcast that i am planning to do very soon fantastic well I'm I'm glad I got to know you better because you. I I think you got big things coming so I appreciate you coming on I appreciate you sharing and um you know for listeners I hope that you enjoyed that one until next week signing off Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com 
If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend. 